Welcome to episode 113 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcast. I'd also love it if you could leave a rating or a comment about why you enjoy the show. Your comments and ratings on Apple Podcasts help new people find Stageworthy. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley of the Play Me podcast. Play Me takes new theater scripts and turns them into contemporary radio plays. Play Me's new season launches this month with Cat Sandler's hit play Bang Bang, currently playing at the Factory Theatre in Toronto. Production yeah, editing we, and stuff. Yeah, we do. We, we've started to hire out a little bit mm-hmm. just because we can't keep up. Oh, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. just too much going on. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, for the most part, we do all our own stuff in the house. Mm. Um, we do the foley. Do um, sorry, I'm just yeah. To one email. Do you guys figure out the like? You guys, you figure out your own foley, or you're sitting down with mics and. What sounds good? What sounds what? Or are you finding using found sound effects? Or? Yeah, it's a combination of the two. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff we we use ourselves and build ourselves. So mm-hmm. we're we're recording and like you know humping tables and yeah, walking yeah, yeah. over stuff. <laughs> and the other half is using um, royalty free mm-hmm. uh, purchased sound effects. Yeah. because yeah. there's just some stuff that we just can't, or it would take a day like to get a sound a sure. subway sound sound effect would be like the day to go down to the subway sure I mean and you gotta find like the right time when that's when people there's not somebody talking next to your microphone yeah exactly yeah so the sound effects are there where did um where was Play Me Born how did that start uh should I jump into it sure yeah, yeah, yeah uh so Laura and I were both writers and directors and we have this sort of great love of, of theater and this uh, sense that um, uh, the magic behind theater is the fact that it's so ethereal. It's there, you have to be in that particular mm-hmm. city or town to, to experience it and you have to be there for that very short period of time and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the magical thing about theater but also at the same time it's a drawback because of course if you're not in that place and you're not there at the time you're, you're not going to catch it. Yeah. So, and it also means that, especially with a country that's so large, uh, a lot of the different places, the cities are, it, people in Vancouver don't necessarily know what's happening in Halifax, and people in Toronto don't know what's happening in uh, Manitoba. Sure. So there's such a um, disconnect, and we have a love for podcasting. So we thought, well, what if we put it together, those two ideas together? Mm. And we had also worked at uh, CBC a little bit for, we did a radio drama with mm. the CBC uh, drama department when it when it existed sure. before it was shut down, and uh, so we had a little taste of that. 
that. And um, we thought, well, let's try and sort of merge these things and create something so that plays will be online forever. So people will get a chance in 10 or 15 years' time to listen to, let's say, Iceland with the original cast. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of... And and I think also just as playwrights, because you spend so much time writing something... Um, and you um, often workshop it and have a dramaturg mm-hmm. compared to like a serialized um, show. Yeah. A lot of time and work goes into it, and the, the ratio of people that see it is so low yeah. that it seemed a shame for so many shows to, you know, even shows, and initially our idea was to bring more indie stuff that would maybe be at Summer Works or, yeah. or The Fringe or, or whatever, Next Stage, and uh, it'd be a great show, but just so many of them, majority of them never go beyond, even if it gets four stars, doesn't go beyond sure. that stage, yeah. so why not um, make them into podcasts, because there is not that many radio dramas out there no, right now and if they are they're they're in the old radio style which which is great but it's you know not everybody's into that yeah most of the ones that i know of are recreating the old serialized even if they're not like recreating old scripts it's that uh like 20s 30s radio sound that they're going yeah. for yeah very dramatic yeah. which is which is amazing yeah but there was room for contemporary a contemporary sure. um take on on that as well yeah uh, I mean, as as you guys were working out what the logistics would be, would be, did you initially think that it would be like a, a really simple thing that ended up being larger, or how did what what did it become? What were your initial thoughts of what Playmate would be and what it became? That's a good question. I yeah, I think we 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 didn't know whether it would have traction. We didn't know whether it would work. Whether we could get the funding to even move forward. Mm-hmm. We didn't know whether uh, playwrights would want their stuff online. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how the actors would feel about it. We didn't know about Actra because we had to. There was no. Um, there was nothing in place, so we had to. It took us. Uh, I think it was about nine months to negotiate wow. contracts with Actra. And to their credit, they were they were really willing. They wanted to make it happen. Sure. Um, and we had to work to to get to that stage. So, yeah, we, we there were so many roadblocks along the way that we were wondering whether we would be able to get to the point where we could even produce and put mm-hmm. something online. I was going to say, I just yeah. think that's been the real learning uh, curve that we've had is where we thought it was a good idea. But as Chris said, would a playwright would a playwright feel that if their play is online, does that will that lessen the likelihood of somebody? putting on as a production or would a theater company feel that um, they don't want to um, have a show on for free on, on, on a podcast um, would that diminish the likelihood of people buying tickets? Sure. But I think cause we got in early enough, like nobody knew what the yeah, answers yeah. would be to that, but everybody is very game to see, you know, the more something is out there, the more likely people are going to uh, know about it and go and see it. So we've had sort of the a turnaround of, of not being able to produce all the stuff that we have opportunities for. So sure. that has been amazing. But I would also say maybe the workload is more than we yeah, it's <laughs> really a, understood. Everything sort of expanded. The workload is a lot more than we anticipated. But also mm-hmm. at the same time, the audience is bigger. Because when our, our, we thought we were being kind of cocky by saying we wanted to put something together for that's national. We wanted sure. to put something together that you know people would hear right across Canada. What we didn't expect was... 
that there would be a huge hunger internationally for Canadian work. Yeah, so yeah. our audience is now, we're at about half a million, a little more, over half, yeah. more than half a million, and nine out of ten are outside of Canada. That's amazing. So, yeah, and that's, I think, exciting to know that people outside uh, our country are really hungry to hear Canadian playwrights, Canadian actors, and Canadian stories. Because we don't, I mean, we don't think of it that way yeah. as Canadians. Yeah. We don't think that <clears throat> the people outside of Canada are interested in that. Yeah. <clears throat> and yet, I remember an article a couple of years ago by uh, Howard Sherman, who used to run the American Theatre Wing, okay. had a great podcast at the time. It was one of the inspirations for me starting this okay. podcast. In fact, yeah. um, he wrote about how you know in America they know a bunch of. Uh, British plays and British playwrights yeah. and in Britain they know a bunch of American playwrights and American plays but they, they, in both places it's so rare to find yeah. Canadian plays so yeah. and he was actually like where are they and so I remember yeah. a whole lot of people like saying look at this look at this look at this right. and he was like it's like there is a hunger That's I think right. we saw that this summer mm-hmm. um, when Soul Pepper went uh, yes. to New York yeah yeah. Well, Canada's pretty hot right now, I think, with, the, with <laughs> especially over there. I think there's a lot of people that look look to Canada and think of it's a sort of a nice, uh, cool, um, democratic, yeah, liberal place. Sure. But I think also people are just, they just like good stories. I, I wonder, because like one of our biggest listenerships is in Iran. Hmm. And, you know, unless somebody emails us and tells us why they're listening in Iran, like yeah. we can just guess. Um but I, I suspect, you know, some of it might be to learn English, but I, I think that, that they're just liking good work. Yeah, and, yeah. and whether it's Canadian or not is, is maybe a... a I think with Iran, too, it's, it's, a very, it's a very young population, yeah. a well-educated mm-hmm. population, and hungry for contemporary <laughs> European, mm-hmm. Western um, uh, stories. So yeah. I, I think that's sort of a lot of the connection there. Uh, yeah, I think that yeah, because our uh, the people that are listening are the largest demographic is in the eighteen to thirty four, sure. which is the podcast people, or people yeah, yeah. that are more yeah. consuming online. Um, you know, where sometimes people outside of that demographic will say, "Oh, I've actually never listened to a podcast." Sure. I'm amazed actually how many people still say that. And then maybe people, there's enough people in that age demographic that may not have seen live theater mm-hmm. before, so yeah. it's a great. Crossover. That is great. Well, isn't it great about podcasts that you can see those details? That yeah. Things yeah. That you might not be able to know yeah, exactly. for radio, television, anything else that you can yeah. see like exactly where people are that they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. We we actually had uh, at one point there was this huge spike in listenership from um, Guam. Well, no, Philippines. Philippines. Mm-hmm. And we're like, why? And we realized, oh, we had just put on um, Andrea Scott's Better Angels, and it's all about. Uh, a nanny coming into uh, a white household and they start to push the work push the work then she can't go out they take her passport and it basically is examining uh, you know domestic slavery Mm. and how that can happen in today's world and then you go aye we can make that connection to Mm. that spike in the Philippines Mm. even though it wasn't a Filipino nanny no right but the stories were were definitely Mm. similar interesting so where did it uh, aside from uh, Spar uh, from uh, Play Me, when did you guys start? I mean, you're both playwrights, you're producers. Um, where did that come from for you? When did you start doing that? Writing and producing. Yeah. When did theater well, start for you as a as a as a love? Well, uh, probably, you know, long long time ago. But Chris and I met 
um, in directing class in, at York University. Mm-hmm. So so that's how far back mm-hmm. we go. We were in a class of eight. So Chris and yeah. I have been doing this for you know, don't say a, it. <laughs> a, long, a long time. A long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've been working in partnership for a very yeah, very like long straight time. out of university. Yeah, straight. Yeah, since we were. And I think we just enjoyed um, coming up with you know coming up with our own ideas and working for ourselves. And, um, yeah, Play Me just became just another one of those many yeah. things. I think a lot of the work that we do always incorporated some kind of technology or some mm-hmm. kind of media. So, like, I think the, the big show that sort of set us along a, a certain path was called Romeo Juliet Remixed. Mm-hmm. And that was in the early years where, where people were just starting to incorporate video. So we incorporated video and it was um, a Romeo and Juliet set in a rave, which mm-hmm. is kind of topical now because you've got the rock and roll uh, um uh, Hamlet, Hamlet yeah, yeah, yeah. at the Tarragon. So it was R&J uh, set in a rave with, uh, you know, all the uh, technological experiences that come out of uh, mm-hmm. the ra- that came out of the rave culture way way back then, yeah. um, and uh, so we incorporated video and film, and we've and text we, messaging, which was yeah. so which was so, so new hot. at the time. <laughs> yeah, at the time. <laughs> I didn't actually text message no. when we did it, <laughs> uh, and then we ended up doing a show at World Stage um, that incorporated audio, where you you could um, you moved around the space but you had an audio player Mm. um, that would bring you into the mind of the main character so as you moved through and that would help Mm. guide you through so it was a very it was a a communal experience as an audience but also it was a very intimate experience Mm. because you were listening in your with earbuds Um, Mm. so there's always been sort of that so play me has been a bit of a opportunity for us to take all the stuff that we've learned from live theater from media from audio and try and sort of mash it all up yeah Yeah. was the when you mentioned that you'd worked with cbc before you did play me um what what started what brought you into that did you have uh aside from the multimedia stuff that you've done did you have a particular audio background that, that drew cbc to you or I think we um, answered a pitch. I think yeah. we just yeah. answered a pitch, and, and and you never think in some of those things that yeah. you know, and somebody that doesn't already have a relationship can actually get in the door. But yeah. but uh, we were lucky enough to be able to write a radio play, and Gregory J. Sinclair, who was the executive um, for radio drama, invited us to be part of the whole process. So mm-hmm. we got to be there for all of the recording, and it was uh, so amazing to watch. Um, them, you know, they would do some of the recording in the studio, but then they do some of the recordings outside or in different spaces to get different sounds. Mm-hmm. And then to watch the whole Foley, you know, like just right out of the golden days of radio, sure. the old Foley stuff <clears throat> happen and the different floors they would yeah, have. Yeah, the space was amazing. Yeah. So it was, it was such a visual thing, mm. actually. Um, so that just really, I think, stuck, yeah. stuck in our minds. Yeah, it, it was wild because they had this huge studio with strips of concrete and then wood and then tiles so you could create, you know, your, your footsteps. Sure. And then they had these giant staircases and then small metal staircases. They had this little tiny tunnel that you could walk through and record in. Uh, it was just wild. And so you were looking at this very old-fashioned 
art form through a window, but you were inside the cockpit that mm. you felt like you were on the, on the, <clears throat> the deck of the, the enterprise yeah. with all these computers and everything. So it was this tremendous mashup of new technology and old art. Mm. It was really quite spectacular. And it's a shame that when they killed the radio drama department, apparently they just ripped out that whole studio. Oh, it's just, yeah. I was going to ask, but yeah, <clears throat> they could have rented it. They, there's a lot that they could have done with it, but I think they just wanted to make the decision very final. Yeah. yeah. No going back. Then. Yeah. And then, of course, podcasts. You know, was it like, yes. like maybe that was in around uh, 2004, 2005, yeah. maybe that we did that? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so, and maybe, it, I can't remember exactly when it ended, 2008, eight nine. Yeah. You know, but it just kind of feels like it, you know, it just missed, missed the podcast <clears throat> yeah. moment. I mean, there were yeah. podcasts. It's just that not everybody was. Yes. that was before radio got a hold of podcasts. There were yeah. still like yeah. a few. Yeah, like Adam Curry was uh, the podfather. He came up with the whole like distribution through RSS, okay. and uh, uh, you know there were a few outliers and things like that. Mm. But it didn't. It wasn't what it was there was public radio hadn't got into it there wasn't a serial or anything like that right um yeah so when you got how what's your process for choosing the plays that you do well it has been when we've seen a play or had a place uh, sent to us that you know had a a great script really you can have a script on stage then you can you know it can still be good but maybe the writing isn't as, you know, maybe sure. the writing isn't the number one thing. Maybe there's a lot of other elements to it, but the writing really has to be tight for a podcast. Yes. And it's interesting because we'll have a playwright in the room when we record and they'll they'll hear it slash see it differently because there's no, um, there's no blocking. You know, they stand and they, they read and sometimes they move around, but it's not, it's not being acted out. We're not taping a show in a rehearsal in the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to get different voices. Yeah. Um, we're just moving into a new phase where we're going to be working with um, theater companies and we'll be presenting a portion of their season. So we thought, you know, why are we doing this on our own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why not uh, combine forces? So we'll be starting uh, in February with um, Factory Theater doing Kat Sandler's Bang Bang. Nice, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. then we're, we've partnered with the Tarragon uh, Factory uh, Musical Stage. That's Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Citadel out west, uh, Artistic Fraud out east, uh, Great Canadian, Canadian Theatre Company as well. Yeah. And then we, we've forged other partnerships that we're still can't, can't announce yet sure. of other companies for the next season as well. So. And that, that for us is nice because we're not, um, we're still going to produce some indie work and still have that independent element there. Um, but it also is a chance to sort of connect all these different theater companies and artists together as well. Um, I mean, you were, you were talking about, or earlier you mentioned, uh, uh, I think before we started recording, how you were, you were weekly for, for a while. Um, had you intended to run all year long? Not never stopping before you sort of realized that that particular grind and decided to break it up into seasons. Um, yeah, I mean, we sort of um, naively started with that idea, um, and then we had some some things happen uh, that made that impossible. Mm. Um, so I was going to say also part of it was 
funding. So yeah. we, we, we'd had uh, a tremendous uh, support from the theater community. We had some decent uh, um, funding for startup funds. Mm-hmm. So we were able to sort of explode onto the scene and then do all our stuff. And then... Uh, the money ended yes, and yeah. it takes a little bit of time to get to get the money out there and then we were able we were successful uh, in pulling in money from uh, actually multiple levels of government so there was this period where it was a combination of um, personal stuff that was going on and we just couldn't get the stuff mm-hmm. out but also we were just in between the the funding cycles for us we're, we're we feel very lucky now we've got funding that is um, rotational so mm-hmm. It's composite funding and uh, multi-year funding. So That's now good. we're going to be able to keep it up. So the plan is that we're going to go back to weekly. Mm. Um, there will be probably a period, say, over the summer where we're going hiatus or we might repeat some sure. of the past stuff. Uh, but we're going to you know, continue to try and feed the beast on yeah. a regular basis, something you know, I'm sure, really <laughs> yeah, yeah, well yeah. enough. I think yeah. it was good, though, for us to take a little bit of a breather because you can't be cranking stuff out with with the the small um uh, staff that we have and and plan and mm-hmm. have a big mm-hmm. vision and i think because we we had to sort of pull back a little bit we have been able to um mm-hmm. come up with a bigger vision yeah um which has been great because we don't want to you know we don't want to just do play me until until we get exhausted we want it to be something that continues not just because we enjoy doing it but because i i personally would love to be able to like go on my ipod as i'm walking to work and listen to a show at citadel or listen to a show that's happening at artistic fraud um it's hard it's hard enough to see shows here and it's impossible for us especially with things like magnetic north Mm -hmm. and opportunities that were around for you to see you know if you want to make the track to where magnetic north was um but Otherwise, there's not that many opportunities, really, unless you're willing to travel to 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 really be plugged in because it's such a big country yeah. with small communities spread out far. We hope to kind of lessen that. Yeah, that is the interesting thing about about this particular country. I think in in the U.S. there's I think that happens a little less because everybody goes to New York. Everybody thinks New York yeah. for theater. Yeah. And maybe there's a little in Chicago and it's a little bit in in L.A. But there, yeah. the hotbed is is thought of as as uh, as New York and here we have a bunch of different hotbeds of different yeah. sizes and all over the country and there are scenes that we don't see yeah. like will people in Vancouver know who Kat Sandler is yeah. whereas in Toronto we are yeah. more likely to yeah yeah and I think also just you know I think it would be really amazing ultimately for us to be able to bring like you know more perspectives mm-hmm. to larger audiences like uh, art that's being that's coming out of um, the Northwest Territories or rural communities or indigenous communities and stuff. It's just, you don't have to worry about the bankability of a show in the same way that you have to for a main stage because nobody's buying a ticket. Sure, yeah. You know, we hope people will listen, but... um, And it also costs much less to produce a podcast than it does. It's still it's still slightly expensive, mm. but it's it's less than mounting a full show. So it means that we can take <coughs> risks. We can sure. uh, do you know a show that probably wouldn't necessarily make it to the stage for various reasons, mm-hmm. um, which is a tremendous freedom, I think, for us. Yeah, but it also, I mean, you know, you don't have to worry about a run. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can do it. Yeah. It's it's the run is one episode, but the people can download and listen to 
mm-hmm. at any time. Do do people do you rehearse much before? Like, what is the like when you're putting it together? Obviously, you've planned out. You know what your foley is going to be, and you know mm-hmm. what the play is going to be, and you know when you're rehearsing when you're when you're recording. What's the rehearsal process like for uh, a show, a play that's being recorded for a podcast? Yeah. Well, mostly um, the shows we've done have had a run. So we've mm. almost always, right? Almost yeah. always oh, had yeah. shows. We were just actually recording one on um, on Monday that hasn't. But the mm. majority of them have had runs, even if it's just been a workshop production um, or it's been a, a main stage production. Mm. We did Orange Dot for, that was just at Crows. So, so we've had the benefit of having the cast know the show, mm. which is huge. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of the Foley actually happens after. Okay. Chris does the Foley um, uh, in post-production. Sometimes some things are created in the, in the moment, but yeah. largely it's done after the fact. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, I mean, as the actors are familiar with performing the play on stage, are there many changes that need to happen for it to be an audio Surprisingly, no. And okay. I think that also as, as just when you, you look at it from a writer's perspective, I think that's been the biggest learning curve for me, which is an awful lot of the stage directions that are in there don't, if you pull it out, it actually adds to the piece because what it does is it forces the listener mm. to really use their imagination and create and paint the world. Mm. And quite often you don't need that information. Sometimes even when you pull it out, it, it there's this moment of the audience is thrown a bit off because they know something is going on, something's happening, they don't know what it is. It isn't until a couple lines later that suddenly you fill in and you see what that tension was all about. Mm. Um, and so we do, we usually have the writer in the room and occasionally there's a moment where we go, you know what, we can't We can't deal with this with Foley. We can't, mm. there's, we need a line change. And the writers are always uh, very happy to make that change. But that actually happens much, much less mm. than I would have anticipated. Mm-hmm. Our very first yeah. one we did for, which was Nicholas Beyonce Agamemnon, we we did have someone read all the stage directions, mm. and it it really you know it slowed down it the, the piece. Down the yeah. Like when we when you're doing a, a reading, yeah, uh, and, and somebody's reading the, the stage yeah. directions, you can always feel the actors sort of like ready, going, <laughs> waiting, having, yeah. to, having to stop for somebody to yeah. to say yes. they kiss, yeah, yeah, you know, or whatever the stage <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we read a lot of plays now and it's mm-hmm. like, I just always love when they're not a lot of stage directions yeah, yeah, in yeah. general because it does interrupt the flow. Um, when we did uh, The Orange Dot, there was um, a moment where a knife is introduced mm-hmm. and no, nobody says that in the script. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, that's just an example of you hear something and I think she... Uh, and then, and then and if you're going to change a line, you don't want to go, oh, a knife, right? So I think she, we hear her moving around, and I think she said, it's sharp. Mm. And so you have to infer yeah, more. And I yeah. guess when you're listening to something, you have to pay attention maybe a little bit more. You do, but I mean, your imagination works. Yeah, it fills yeah. in. I've heard some people say that, that, that radio is a visual medium. Yeah. yeah. That if you yeah. sit and listen... Yeah. You see it, yeah, mm-hmm. in a way that even in film that you don't see it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's true because the world that you can create inside your head is going to be far far more interesting than what necessarily somebody can present on on sure on either film or 
stage. Yeah. You mentioned the other things that you that you're doing outside of outside of playing. I mean, what are yeah. what are some of those things aside from the 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 Romeo and Juliet remixed and, and some of the other things? What do you what else are you working sure. on? We we did a film about a year and a half ago called Awake, and that actually came out of a theater piece that we did. Mm. Um, we uh, Laura and I were lucky enough to spend quite a bit of time uh, working in the arts. Um, uh, up in Jamestown, which is one of the priority communities in mm. North Toronto. And we got to know a lot of the people who live and, and work there. Um, and a story that came out of there, I, I don't know if you remember, it was um, back in 2005, Five, there was a shooting in a uh, funeral home where a young man who was attending his best friend's oh, yes. uh, funeral was killed during the funeral. Um, and it just really shook the city to, to the core. Yeah. And um, that was in the area that we had worked. And we were able to connect with a lot of people there, mums, the mum who lost her child, um, the police, uh, a lot of his uh, friends, some youth who were uh, gang um, gang related, some who had escaped that world. Mm. Uh, and we put together a theater piece that was verbatim based on that. And from there, uh, we were able to make a film mm. uh, of that. And so that film right now is touring uh, through the film festival circuit. It's doing... Uh, uh, mostly the U.S. and mm. down through um, through Europe as well. It's going to be at uh, the new Renaissance Festival in uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam at the beginning of March. It's going to be. What's there. it like adapting a theater piece for film? Tough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you have to show, not tell. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and also because it's a verbatim piece, it was extra yeah. challenging. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's like really paring down a story. And like in film, if you, I think we like started with like a candle being lit mm. and then blown out. And if you saw that on stage, you know, you'd note it, but it means so much more sure. in film. So everything you show is really loaded, yeah. every expression. But it was a really great experience. Yeah, It was a really hard piece because a lot of verbatim theater, the writers are the central figure. Mm -hmm. And that's done for a really good reason because it's really easy to guide the story, create the arc. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, then realistically maybe half the half the piece is actually verbatim because if you're the author you're writing your lines yeah so it gives you a little bit more freedom um and it does give it a lot more structure mm. we decided that just because of the nature of that piece it wouldn't be right for us to be part of it because mm. we were not part of the story yeah, you know yeah, yeah. so we um we wrote awake in a way where it was verbatim but we weren't there so that was the big that was the big challenge was mm. how do you create that structure how do you create the arc how do you create all the necessary elements that you need for a piece mm. without 
being there to be able to to guide it and that became also a huge challenge for the film as well mm. so in the end we ended up focusing just on a very minute part we we focused on the sermon that mm. the um that the pastor gave and the sermon as that was given that gave us the arc that we could then um, riff off of mm. with the visuals and with the moments of being able to tell the story that led up to this this, this that moment. Mm. And also, like film is very literal. Yeah. In theater, you can like in our in our stage play, we would morph into a dance piece or a song. We wanted it to be. We had video in it. We wanted mm. it to be very multi arts because it's such mm. a sad story. We needed to give it some levity. Sure, but that didn't. I mean, you can't do that in film, but it it does doesn't always work no, so we didn't no. we didn't incorporate that it was not a long film so mm. and um in addition to that we've done a tv show for kids <laughs> on cbc and we do a training um collaboration project with 25 young performers that um are just starting their career and we pre- present that at Nuit Blanche every year so we have we have a lot of um like separate to-do lists going on <laughs> yes. right now. And how do you keep track of all of these to-do lists? How do you... Not very not well. <laughs> we go, oh my God, we forgot to do blah, blah, blah. Or we write an email saying, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get back to you. But I yeah. mean, so far we've been... We've yeah, we've been, been able okay. to... Yeah. It's going to get much busier though. Yeah. Just getting into a, a busy time. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's, 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 that's always been a struggle for us, you know, just trying to trying to stay on top of it the, the exciting thing is i feel like we've never done the same thing twice which mm-hmm. is is kind of scary uh it's also exciting yeah. um and it means i think you know i feel like we're always learning something we're always we can you know the space to make mistakes and to learn from and then the next thing that you do you're able to sort of take things up a level yeah I mean that is why it, it it can be comforting to do the same thing over and over, and yet yeah. also really boring after a while. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, wanting to do indie stuff and and things that happen in fringes and things like that. Have you have I was just sort of looking at the list of I haven't been able to listen to all of your episodes, but I've had listened to a few. Um, have have any of the ones that you've done been fringe shows that you put on, or were they? Uh, or is that something that you're still thinking of for the future? So it shows that we have done ourselves. So for 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 play me. To, yeah, to, grade eight. To uh, was it grade eight or no? Blames. Shows that were in the fringe yeah. before in the past. Is that what you're asking? Well, like, uh, did, were there any fringe shows that, that yeah. became uh, a play me episode? Yes. Yeah. 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 Dwayne's piece. The, yeah, uh, Dwayne Morgan's piece, grade eight. I think yeah. started at the. Fringe. Yeah, it started at the fringe, and he then we made it into the podcast, and then it actually was in soon after uh, the fringe uh, in Hamilton, and yeah, he, he had people coming up saying that he people had come to see the show because they I think had it was heard on, yeah the, moved to Ottawa uh, yeah moved to Ottawa wow um, because they had heard it, which was a little bit of our hope, but we hadn't been able to track it. So then to be able to hear that mm. that happened was sort of reaffirmed a little bit of what we had hoped would happen with with Play Me. Yeah, we really hope that shows that haven't had a chance on the big stage that will still be able to get to do them or even ones that have that people an artistic director in another area or audience members will hear Mm. the podcast and go and see the show and that's very much what we're the idea we're working with when we're working with the larger companies like tarragon and, and musical stage and factory that um that people will hear an episode of 
Bang Bang or Bunny and say, I, I think I like that show or I think my mom will like that show yeah. or I think my friend will like that show. And I, there is that idea of like you shouldn't know anything about the show before you go. But I think it's such a on-demand world now. Yeah. And we've been using the analogy that, you know, you can get music, download music for free and the business model behind that is so that you will go to the concerts. Yes, yeah. So yeah. we're hoping that more people will go to the Tarragon because they heard a podcast yeah. and they liked it. And they'll say, you know, I liked that um, writer or like that actor or like that yeah. genre. And our hope too is is that because, as you know, the, the podcasting demo is much younger, mm-hmm. quite often is much more diverse. And our hope is that that, that audience and that crowd will start to connect more with theater and that they'll go from earbuds to sitting in the theater and that it will help yeah. really build the uh, uh, the younger audiences for theater yeah. as well. It's really great because I mean this is sort of a generation that likes to hear the thing they know. Yeah. Like yeah. How many people yeah. um, listen to the Hamilton soundtrack and still yeah. you know, or, or exactly yeah. want to go see it even though mm. they, they know the whole show. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, Some people will read a play before they go and see the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I kind of don't mind having a bit of an idea of what I'm walking into. I mean, for me, if something is going to be really, um, you know, violent or really Mm. hard to hear, I kind of want to know. I just want to prepare myself a little bit. That's just me. Um, but you know, people have different reasons for different, for, for that. And I, and I think also, you know, it's sometimes you can appreciate a show more if you are not hearing it for the first time. I mean, I remember, uh, having read and reread Danny McIver's house Mm. many times before I actually finally got to see him perform it. And it didn't lose anything for me. In fact, I was able, I think I was able to enjoy it a little more because I, knew more the detail right. in the script and yeah. for that it was like his dynamic delivery which sort of takes you along yeah fascinating. you're yeah. like trying to catch up and what it is yeah. and all that yeah. stuff yeah. Um, if I may just if I may take yeah. the opportunity <laughs> to say that we are doing a project with the Playwrights Guild of Canada called um, Play Me Mono and um, we're going to be interviewing um, four different high-profile playwrights, including Daniel McIver, mm. and sitting with them live and talking about um, a monologue that they've written in a play uh, and really just diving into that monologue and hearing about the process of creating that monologue and mm. the challenges and, you know, rather than analyzing a play as a whole it's just this you know zooming in on that one yeah. piece so we're going to be doing that with daniel mciver judith thompson debbie young and keith barker so those will be live events where audiences are invited to come and we'll record it right. and then it will be re- released one of the things that i've enjoyed uh, uh about play me is is interviews after uh-huh, a yeah. play like the an interview with rosamund small or, or a dramaturg after and talking about what went into the play. And I always, because I think, I think that not only are the things that we create fascinating, but the minds behind them are fascinating. Totally, so I, yeah. I really do appreciate that, that after the, the play is finished on play me, that um, you talk to somebody who was involved in the creative process. And that's one of my favorite things. So I really like the idea of, in, of diving in with these playwrights as well. When does, when is that expected to start? 
the interviews again? Yeah. Um, well, it should be starting with the plays. So, mm-hmm. so we're just scheduling all that mm-hmm. now. But that's always. I think we fell behind with um, the orange dots. We have that one outstanding. Yeah. But otherwise, we we have in, d- done an interview for every show, mm-hmm. and we will continue to do and so. Play me mono when when's play me mono? Oh, yeah. so, oh, sorry. Um, um, yeah. Um, it will start to air in May, mm. um, but um, the live events are going to happen at the Red Sandcastle Theatre in Leslieville starting in March, March 6th, and we'll have it all on our... I will, I'll definitely um, be keeping track of that. Yeah. And it will be fun because it's going to be a very intimate space, well, too. Well, that's the so, thing yeah. about the Red Sandcastle, yeah. is it yeah. is such an intimate space. Exactly. It's not like you're sitting in a massive yeah. theater, you're like... Yeah in a very yeah. small room yeah and yeah. just to be like that close to judith thompson and hear her talk yeah. about her process mm-hmm. and yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward yeah. to it yeah that is yeah. that sounds really exciting yeah. to me yeah um are there you, we've talked about some of the plays that are coming up so uh this cat sounders bang bang is starting in february and uh there's some other stuff coming up are there i mean i, I it's almost an unfair question to ask you to tell me what you're looking forward to that's coming mm-hmm. up. But I'm going to ask anyway. What <laughs> the plays that are coming up that you're really looking forward to? Well, it's hard I not could... to be very diplomatic because <laughs> I am looking forward to them all. I have to say, sure. I love um, I love Kat Sandler's dialogue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I think that's going to be a really exciting start mm-hmm. to it. But I'm equally as excited yeah. to work with Hedda Moscovich, sure. to work with Musical Stage. Actually, that's also just really interesting is we've never done anything musical before. You mentioned yeah. Musical yeah. Stage. And I was, I was very curious about what... Because doing a, a straight-up play is one thing, but but what are you what are you doing with musical stage? For for them, they had these pieces that they had developed, and uh, Mitchell Marcus sort of said, you know, we love this this work, and it's really very strong work, but it doesn't it doesn't fit into your traditional theater presentation. Mm. And so they have this great work, but they don't know how to present it. So that's when we were talking to them. He said, you know, would this work for a podcast? And we looked at it and it actually fits perfectly with a podcast. Um, it's uh, commissioned pieces that are inspired by artwork. So you have mm-hmm. the possibility of having the artwork, um, you know, online so that you can see it sure. and then you can hear the, the piece of music and you can make those connections that sure. way uh so we're doing three pieces uh from them yeah. and uh it's going to I, I i'm excited by it because you're experimenting with lyrics and lyricism you're experimenting with music you're mashing in art into the yeah. whole whole piece um mm-hmm. and for us too it's just i think going to be interesting to work with um mixing that and how do you create the still have the same kind of intimate um the intimate element to it without it being um a, a, a detached musical yeah. of something. and unlike a play when we do a play it's almost like we're taping a tv show where mm-hmm. we don't always necessarily do it in sequence mm-hmm. if there's like five yeah. actors and 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 most of them are at the beginning and not at the end or vice versa. We'll, we'll usually we try to do it in sequence when we can, but sometimes we'll record the middle and then the start. And if somebody flubs a line or, you know, we take it in chunks, you yes. know, it's not like yeah. we run the play from start to finish, but you can't really do that in a, in a musical. No. It doesn't work in the same way. So we're just, we're just going to huh. live to tape essentially. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's yeah. taking us out of our comfort zone where we're not musical stage or musical mm-hmm. 
um, people. people. <laughs> so it's going to be uh, a great learning opportunity yeah. for us. What's interesting is the idea of just sort of going straight through. Yeah. Um, the uh, cast album of Town from the New York, the New York production of that, was actually done in front of a live audience. Really? Which is fascinating to hear. Because usually we don't, the, when we hear a musical on, you know, we hear the, the cast recording, it's mm-hmm. completely separate from the audience. Yeah. But this yeah. was every song, every moment with the audience laughing, wow. listening, gasping, which was like really interesting and really drew me in for that. So That's like just even like going straight through, because even when they record like a, a, a cast album, They'll stop. They'll start. They go yeah. back. They do the. They do the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, just to go, you know, whatever happens, happens, and yeah. sort of record that is, is is a fascinating idea. Yeah. Well, I know that I know that uh, you've got to go. So I want to I want to thank you for uh, for talking with me today, and I, uh, I look forward to the next uh, season of, of Play Me and, and everything that comes out. That's great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this.